Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome into the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galanti along with T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, it's time to continue our positional review for the 2023 season. Are you all ready for that, my friend? We will find out over the next 60 minutes, but uh, I'm reasonably confident I'm ready to go. It's the only thing I've been thinking about or doing for the last two weeks. So, yeah, I better be. (laughs) Well, we have apparently more confidence in you than you do in yourself because I am 100% sure that you are going to be ready. So don't let me down, T. Frank. Let's start with, well, we did quarterback position last week, so I thought we'd do the rest of the offense today. We're better to start than with the offensive line. Every Penn State fan's favorite topic. Mm-hmm. But for a change, I let's just start in general. There is so much more promise, more depth, more talent, more everything, I think, with this offensive line than we've seen at Penn State in years. Yeah, I mean, I can't say it better than that. Uh, they they finally have depth. Um, James Franklin said last week they're going to have a spring game as of now, <laughs> where last year they did not have enough bodies to have a spring game. Now, not only do they have enough bodies, I think that the the depth has arrived. It's not just that they have potential. It's not just that they have you're not relying on Alex Birchmeyer and Javen Williams to come save you this year because you still have the guys from last year that can take that step now. J.B. Nelson, Vega Yuwane, Drew Shelton, those guys arrived, um, at least Shelton arrived early. Um, and that gives you eight, nine, depending on how some uh, veteran guys, if they finally put it all together and become reliable, dependable depth players, you could have up to 10 players for five spots. That means you have a two deep, a realistic two deep. Look at that. Who knew? <laughs> That, that's just crazy talk there, T. Frank. A too deep for Penn State's offensive line. Let's let's start at the very top. Olu Fashionu was being talked about as a top 10 draft pick in the, for the NFL draft, and yeah. he chose to return. That also has that positive trickle-down effect for depth, for talent, for everything. Just how important was that, him, Fashionu coming back? I want to start for him specifically, because I think if he were in the draft process right now, teams would be starting to nitpick him. You you would love the length. You would love the athleticism. You'd love the pass protection. But then you'd look at his run game and go, well, where's all of that power? Um, I didn't see it last year where in the bowl game against Arkansas, he had some devastating blocks. And then last year, I liked the progress. So, you know, it's it's about technique and it's about consistency, but he didn't it didn't to me feel like he put it all together where then he's it's all second nature and he's just running dudes over. I think that's in store this year. I I really think that he can be an all-American candidate at tackle. He's got everything you need. And with another year with Phil Troutwine, another year in the uh, lifting program, another year to get stronger, he turned 20 in December. So this is a dude that is young, even for his class. And that physical maturity, the mental maturity, he's already a mature kid to begin with. But the, the longer he progresses, the higher the ceiling goes because 
he's got all of the bedrock things you need from athleticism and work ethic to, to just jack up his potential. So you're starting with your left tackle, in my opinion, has the potential in as long as there is an injury or if something happens or maybe he just isn't a dominant run blocker. I have a hard time believing that. But like like my confidence in myself, you can't be absolute about anything. You have to leave some room for the option that you're wrong. Um, but I have a hard time seeing him not being in the conversation for an All-American candidate barring an injury. So that's a huge thing. And then, as you mentioned, the knock-on effect, you don't need to put Drew Shelton into that spotlight position. He doesn't even need to start for you this year. And I know that Caden uh, Wallace is not everyone's favorite offensive lineman. But here's what I, I want to let fans know. If you watch the right tackles in the Big Ten, none of them are very good. Like, none of them are very good. You'll have a situation every once in a while where Tristan Wirf plays right tackle for Iowa, and he's better than the left tackle, but they put him at right for some reason. Um, but that doesn't happen very often. It, very few teams have two tackles that are complete players that can pass block and run block at the same level. You saw that when when Michigan was put into a situation where they had to throw the ball quite a bit, uh, their right tackle was not as good. As you know, as the, as the rest of the offensive line in pass block in pass blocking situations, but they did a great job of not putting him in that position. So Penn State's ability to play to their strengths this year is going to be a key factor in how that right tackle position shakes out. That's all to say Caden Wallace is a big 10 quality tackle. I would not say that he is on the high end, but he also has the opportunity to get better. Like he's still in college. I still I, I think he's mostly what he is. But at the same time, you can get some incremental progress to get to an average player. But the promise, obviously, is that Drew Shelton can be great. You know, he's pegged as the next left tackle. So can he beat out Wallace to play on that left side? You didn't have this conversation with Bryce Efner. You came into last season, first off, not knowing if, if Efner was going to be able to play. Now you've got three tackles that have started in the Big Ten. That is a that is a monumental difference than when where we've been with this roster in so long. And I think it's incredibly promising because consider this point last year, uh, Alex Birchmeyer was in that, you know, uh, would be in that conversation right now. He might be your fourth or fifth tackle, um, you know, and that all depends on how spring is going and how uh, he's progressed so far. Um, you know, we are, as always, we'll find out as we go along how he's doing. But you just the tackle position is so healthy right now compared to what it was, but it's got to stay actually healthy. That's obviously we saw that last year. That's the key. You always hate to talk about injuries, T. Frank, but they are the reality. A year ago, there were games with both tackles, Caden Wallace and Fashnu out. Okay. Yeah. So you have to think about that. The difference, and you put it well when you said they've got three tackles that have start big 10 starting experience now we certainly if fashion goes down they're not going to be at the same level but they're still going to have big 10 level tackles but this yeah. leads to the question now and james franklin to his credit he talked about it that shelton is going to compete with caden wallace on the right hand side uh, predict for me how that's going to end up is it going to be one is it going to be other is there or is it going to be They're a both. time share 
It's going to be a timeshare. Like I'm, I'm almost positive it's going to be a timeshare because if, um, if Shelton wins the job, unless Wallace transfers, I imagine they're both going to get starting reps, just like they did with Bryce Effner. Because look at it this way: unless, unless Drew Shelton takes a massive, and I mean, altering step forward, he was not excellent last year. He was excellent considering the circumstances. But if you look at him and you remove all the qualifiers of freshman, a little bit undersized, raw coming into college, if you were just and, and just say he's a left tackle in the Big Ten and compare him to his peers, he did not perform to a level that you would win the games that you think you would win, you know, this year. So he's got he. And this is going to sound negative, but it's not like that's the that's the realistic baseline he's coming from. He's going to make a big improvement this year. But if he makes a massive improvement, then sure, he can be the starter. But it would have to be so definitive and so obvious that he's closer to to Fashinu than he is to Wallace for Wallace not to play. Um, so they they like to rotate those guys. They want to get both those guys experience. Um they want to reward the senior, and there's value. Caden Wallace is a big body physical player. Like you're going to want him in certain situations. Um, so yeah, I think both are going to play. You're going to see three tackles rotate. Is my prediction for the fall. And as you pointed out, that would be nothing different from what we've seen in the past with the tackles. Yeah. And again, you know, to think that uh, these guys could go through the full season unscathed, you know, at offensive line. Stuff happens. We know that. And speaking of injuries, another guy that we've put in as the left guard is Landon Tengwall, who he missed, I guess, the last half of last season. But it also seemed like he may have been nicked up the whole season. It's hard for me to believe that, oh, he had a pregame injury. I wonder if that was a preexisting condition. And maybe he yeah. wasn't at a hundred percent for the full season. What's your confidence level in Tengwall? So uh, let's rewind even a little bit further. In the spring, he didn't participate for part of it because he was injured there as well. So that's a, that's a little bit concerning. I, I just I think that is a concern. Um, and until I see him play and be healthy again, I'm going to be concerned. But at the same time, I know his talent level. I know what he was before the injuries and. Uh, what we saw last year, and this is just where I have a hard time. He was a different player than he was as, as a freshman. And if you want to equate that to he's thinking more, so he's not being as confident, but he didn't have the same power. He didn't have the same balance. He didn't have the same contact strength that he did the year before. And I I just struggle to think that that was the same guy without some sort of underlying thing that James Franklin isn't going to talk about. So he needs to be healthy like 100% healthy, everything's fixed, and going forward, we have a solid baseline to build from. But just kind of like P.J. Mustafer, and I know that I'm kind of out on an island here, and this is probably, um, the wisdom of the crowd's probably right here, that he'll be fine. But I have a hard time, I don't think Parker Washington maximized his physical potential for the same reason over the last two years. So can Landon Tangwall get back on track? Um, I think he can. James Franklin has a lot of confidence in him. He named him the starter to go into camp, barring the injuries, et cetera. Um, but JB Nelson has been coming on really strong, literally and metaphorically. Like he's been doing great work in the weight room. He's been adding weight. He's been getting stronger. He's been reshaping his body. He's an athletic guy that played tackle at Lackawanna. 
Um, so it's going to be a competition and it's going to be another place where you might see a rotation. The depth is going to push for playing time this year. And that's the confidence of this group. So I'd like to believe Landon Tangwall still has that high end uh, exceptional abilities. I'd love to see him and uh, Fashinu play next to each other at the height of their powers. But I, I, he just needs to be healthy for me to, you know, be lock that in as the reality for next fall. And the fact is, we won't know about that, maybe not even to the fall, let alone the spring. Although, James Franklin, I don't know if you want to be the glass half full or the glass half empty kind of guy. I think he said Tangwall would be a full go by the third practice, which means there's yeah, still there are some qualifiers the there. Two. Yeah. Yeah. So, but is it the good news, though, that he'll be the full go after that? As always, there's so much to talk about with the offensive line. We're going to go into segment two and finish up the offensive line conversation. Stay tuned for that. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. He is T. Frank Carr. I'm Jim Galante, and we're going through our positional review And first segment, we got halfway through the offensive line. And as T. Frank pointed out to me between segments, the offensive line, hey, this is half the offense there with five positions. There's so much to cover, so it's going to take us two segments. We talked mostly about the tackle position in quarter number one. Uh, Fashnu will be the anchor at left tackle. On the right-hand side, you're going to have the competition between Caden Wallace and Drew Shelton probably going to end up a timeshare. Let's start going back to the interior of the offensive line. We were talking about Hunter Norris, or I'm sorry, about Landon Tengwall at left guard. Going into last season, I was excited about that left side. Hopefully they're healthy, and you do have Fashnu and Tengwall. If they're at their best, 
I'm not sure we've seen two guys on the offensive line on one side like that in years at Penn State. Yeah, I can't. I certainly can't think of uh, certainly during James Franklin's time as the head coach where they've had an offensive line that had players like that. Um, and and you'd have to go back to Levi Brown for a first round offensive tackle, you know, as far as like a guy that has the high end skill. And I know that people don't care about the NFL draft, but it is it's a shortcut for talent. It's a shortcut for positional talent. And uh, Penn State has not had first round offensive linemen. The guys that have succeeded in the NFL have been Connor McGovern, who just uh, got his, his second contract, who was a third round pick. And then a couple of guys that went undrafted. And, and that's really what you have in terms of success over the last decade from the offensive line. So this is genuinely different. And when you consider the guys that are coming up behind them, it is genuinely different on the offensive line. Um, the question is, is it a year early or is it um, on schedule? And that means like the depth coming through and creating something special. Some of these young guys in their second year being ready to go and being difference makers. I still think that's a little early for some of them. That's why I was trying to caution the unbridled optimism of Drew Shelton being the starting right tackle and you're playing depth chart and you're playing GM and you're saying, now we've got two. Like, I, I still want to see it. I still think it's really hard to play offensive line. And Shelton, um, from a technique standpoint, there's a lot to learn. And I don't want to put that on him to all immediately just... Uh, jump the line. Um, and the same can be said for some of the young guys on the interior. Are they ready to jump the line and be either part-time or full-time starters? Before I get to center and Hunter Norzad, uh, let's talk about that depth at guard a little bit. You mentioned J.B. Nelson. How about another guy who's just a monster of size, Vega Yoane, who, what is he at, 350 now? And yep. he impressed a lot of people last year as a true freshman. He would you'd pencil him in as a backup right guard, I guess, right now behind Sal Warmly. But you also have to look at him as a guy. Is this year a year early for him or is he going to be ready? That's he played. He had 16 pass blocking snaps last year. So to say we know anything about his actual Big Ten talent is incorrect. But when you're 350 pounds and move well, and I've seen him in person to know he moves pretty well for his size, he holds the weight really well. I'm interested to see where he ends up. I don't think he'll end up at 350 during the season. I could be wrong, but, you know, I think he'll during. The, so th there's there's different stages to the weight process in the offseason, depending on what your body type is, is how you react to it. Right. So. They just went through the strength building phase. They went through the size phase. So guys are going to balloon if they have the potential to. Then you're going to go through training that size to be functional athletic size. And that's where I'm wondering if you'll see you want to trim down a little bit. And by trim down, I mean 340. You know, like just unbelievably big for a regular person anyway. Um, but that just, that's kind of an aside about his size. If he plays at 350, it's just crazy. Like that's insane. And he's not six, six. He is six, four. So he is a square of a person. He is a brick wall. Um, and the movement skills are really good on film from high school. What we saw last year, they're really good. He's got the length. He's got the power. Um, I, people are, are again, playing, um, armchair depth chart quarterback 
everyone wants to put him at center or guard and kick one of the veterans out because they don't have his size. I kind of agree. Like I'm, I'm wondering how he fits into this picture as well. Um, I do think that it'll be, if I'm projecting uh, timeshares at certain positions, to me, it's on the right side. Salim Wormley is, uh, I think will have a hard time keeping all of those reps to himself at right guard and then the right tackle, which we already covered. Um, but then we'll see what happens at center, you know, like right now, Hunter Norzad was a limited participant to start spring as well. So where are all those guys in the process? We record before James Franklin's uh, availability, which is in the middle of the night on Tuesday, basically. So, you know, we'll get maybe some of those answers. He was more forthcoming than I expected in his opening statements last week. So, uh, we might get a progress report on some of those guys, but we won't really know. We won't get a full view of all of this stuff until the spring game in April um, and kind of see how they're mixing match, matching those pieces and how those pieces do in those situations. But the point is, they've got a lot of depth on the interior as well, where we're talking about five guys for three positions. Uh, and that's the area center is the question of where's the second guy? Where's the depth going to be for that position specifically? Um, but I'm, I'm generally optimistic that they'll be able to make it work. You provided a lot of great information there, T Frank. And my one takeaway is, uh, you want a, at a svelte 340. Yeah. So yeah, it's <laughs> just hilarious. That's, um, that just, that's, that, that, that's the sun coming and eclipsing like the, it's an eclipse over a linebacker. You don't win in that situation because he's so quick getting to the second level. Like we make jokes about dancing bears. He looks like a Kodiak bear running around on the football field. It's it's unbelievably fun to talk about and watch. It, it will be very interesting. You talked a little bit about it at center. Before we even talk about depth at center, I want to go back to starting. Juice Scruggs quietly did a nice job last year at center. Mm-hmm. Hunter yep. Norzad, everyone's just penciling him in. And I'm a bit concerned there because it, everyone seems to talk about it like it's plug and play. Am I wrong mm-hmm. for being a little bit concerned there? I, I, so this is great because I have been the only time we have this conversation about Hunter Norzad. I talked about this on my show, also at the Blue White Illustrated Message Board. The only time we ever have a conversation about Hunter Norzad is when people are trying to replace him in, in the lineup and how... They thought he wasn't any good last year. Remember, and this is this is the downside of James Franklin's injury uh, edict, which you and I have gone back and forth about a lot. Hunter Norzad got rolled up on in week two last year. And that means like, you know, you don't know whether it's an ankle, a knee, a high ankle, which is a thing that doesn't really go away all that easy but something to his leg where he was carried off. He, he was helped off the field. And then he came back and played. And then he came back and started with that injury. And people don't want to consider that whatsoever. They think he's undersized. They think he's Eric Wilson, where he's not strong. This is not the case. This is not true. It is something where, again, I'm concerned. Is he able to bounce back from the injury in a strength perspective and get in good work this offseason? Uh, he's going to have to do it during camp and, and over the summer because he probably was still recovering from whatever during, uh, you know, this this hypertrophy phase during January and February. But he's still working. He's still getting strong. He's still working in areas that aren't specific to his recovery area. 
Um, so if you're thinking he's not uh, a Big Ten offensive lineman, that is incorrect. You know, this is a guy that multiple offensive line schools wanted. Let's rewind a little bit farther back than last year. He was a major get in the transfer portal. He was a major win for Phil Troutwine over Illinois, Iowa, Auburn, places that know offensive line. And he chose Penn State. That was a huge win. That was a part of this conversation. And so we're just discarding him right now because you didn't like what you saw initially and you've made some predetermined, preconceived notions. I'm not saying he's going to be the best center that Penn State's ever had, but he is more than capable of playing and kind of like Scruggs, who didn't do great as a guard uh, before he moved to center his final season. This is his natural position. This is where he's supposed to be playing. He started to tackle at Cornell. He's supposed to be uh, a center, in my opinion. That's where I saw his skills when I watched him on film before he came to Penn State. So he's sliding into more natural position. Hopefully he's healthy. You'll see a different football player. He's explosive. He's violent. He plays with a mean streak. He is everything that Penn State fans uh, want to love. He's not Vega. He's not Landon Tangwall. He's not overpowering. But he's a good offensive lineman. And if you're surrounding him with a healthy amount of power at guard, which they have now, then it should there should be no issue there. So I am confident. I'm fine with him being the starting center. I think that's a quality move. Uh, the depth behind him and, you know, insurance policies against the fact that T. Frank is wrong. You do need another center, and that's where I think Nick Dawkins isn't healthy. They don't have a, a clear number two center, and so they've got to figure that out during the spring. But with with Tangwall and Norzad both being limited and Dawkins being limited to start, that I think is going to be the one area that kind of takes a little bit to figure out even for the staff. And I like uh, that you did mention some injury issues and how important depth is. If you think about it, last year, Norzad, Wallace, Fashionu, Tangwall, all were affected by injuries. Um We've talked plenty about the youngsters, Birchmeyer and J. Van Williams often. I want to ask you, you mentioned Nick Dawkins, but how about the rest of these guys? Uh, Chris, Israel Achumba, Traore, any of those guys who've now been there a couple of years. Any chance any of them reaches the two deep and is a factor, T. Frank? So I would give the most hope to Chris to be tackle four. I think that's the conversation about a competition with Alex Birchmeyer. Um, does Chris rise to the occasion and kick Birchmeyer inside? Because if that's the case and, and you feel like uh, you have the depth you need there, now you can start playing with does Birchmeyer factor into the conversation at guard or at center? And that's a big thing there. Um, outside of that, I think Jim Fitzgerald is another guy who, as a walk-on, did pretty well last year. Um, but the rest of the guys, we've had a conversation about the other players because... Um, they are at that stage in their career where it's you got to make a move now this spring. Um, and I haven't seen anything or enough to really give you an intelligent conversation about it, other than my opinion of at a certain point, you are what you are. And we might be at that point with some of these guys. Very good, T. Frank. That's it for quarter two. Quarter three, we're going to take your questions and we're going to ask T. Frank. Stay tuned. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. 
So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim. He's T. Frank. This is quarter number three, which means it's time to ask T. Frank. This is where we take your questions we give them to T. Frank, and at the end of the segment, he'll pick out the best question, and someone will win our prize pack from the 409tailgateclub.com. That's where they have the great barbecue rubs, the barbecue sauces. They have their new coffee barbecue rubs, which are fantastic, and they are part of the prize pack. So if you want to send your question to T. Frank, download our app. Keystone Sports. You'll see the Ask T. Frank button there. Just push that button, give T. Frank a question, and who knows? You may be the winner of a prize pack from 409tailgateclub.com. Mr. T. Frank, y'all ready for your questions? Let's do it. Let's find out what people want to know. Let's start with a little explanation. A week ago, if you remember, Steve from Painted Post New York he asked us about using a fourth linebacker to help mm-hmm. uh, against running teams. And he wanted to follow up his question. So let's do that. Um, my previous email, agreed. you did answer my question as it was stated, but a better way to ask it would have been, what can Penn State do scheme-wise on defense against the Michigan and to a lesser extent Illinois to stop the run? I'd appreciate your views. I'm a lifelong Penn State fan looking forward with much optimism to the coming season, and I enjoy the show and try not to miss even one. Thank you, guys. So, okay, I just made you defensive coordinator, T. Frank, or Steve did from Painted Post, New York. (laughs) Yeah. And he wants to know, hey, I'm giving you the keys to that defense. Is there something more we can do, T. Frank, to stop the run against teams like Michigan and Illinois? Uh, yeah, don't lose your gap. <laughs> so so it's <laughs> I, it's kind of what I said at the end of the uh, my previous answer to the question is, it's about gap control. And it doesn't mean holding your gap. It means winning your gap. So to me, I wouldn't do much different than Manny Diaz. I'm of a similar philosophy when it comes to what I like from defensive linemen and what I like from defensive schemes. I think the best way to win is to ignore the block. 
to get into the backfield. So backfield penetration uh, from the defensive line. This is an area where I think Chop Robinson can take a big step forward. Um, he's athletic. He's got great hand usage. He's bigger now. I think he's more physical. And that combination of skills, I understand he's quote-unquote undersized for defensive linemen. But if you look at modern defensive ends, they're about his size. So he is not a 275-pound strong side defensive end, sure. But he has the tools to be a nightmare in the backfield. Um, the other thing that Penn State likes to do, which I would, if there's one critique or one thing I would change, is in, in a gambling sort of sense, Manny Diaz will zone blitz, and he will try to predict where the zone run is going. So he will drop a defensive lineman from one side and try to crash from the other side, expecting to get a certain look from the offense. And I'm not saying this was entirely the problem against Michigan, but they were... I'm recalling this a couple months later, but my impression was they were hyper-prepared for what Michigan had been doing on film. And Michigan did something different against Penn State in terms of where their uh, run locations were on select plays, some wrinkles that they and some literal counters that they had that they had not been running. So kind of tangent here, the narrative that Penn State is not prepared after the after the uh, the bye week is incorrect. Like they had a specific game plan to try and destroy that run game. But Michigan was just they zagged. And that was the the one of the problems that Penn State had early in the game. They adjusted and then Penn State didn't hold their gaps. You know, their, their defensive line did a bad job of I'm supposed to be in the B gap. I need to be in the B gap. They peeked into the, the C gap or they peeked into the A gap and they lost contain against a good offensive line. So um, I would do a little less zone stunting um, just because sometimes they get caught in those situations. But it also leads to a lot of TFLs, a lot of, uh, ta you know, tackles in the backfield, corralling guys where there's nowhere to go. But guys like Kaziah Izzard, I think, can give you more on a full-time basis as a guy that is going to get in the backfield and he's going to create havoc. He's going to win his gap and he's going to get behind the offensive line. Um, they do a lot of stunting and uh, switching of gaps. So linebackers coming backside when they're frontside and vice versa. I think Abdul Carter has something to say about run defense. So I I wouldn't change a whole lot. I would just be prepared and have your guys stay in their gap. And I know that that's not a great answer, but the difference between 300 yards and 120 can sometimes be two runs like they were in the second half. And I don't think Penn State is so far off that you need to throw everything out and change anything against these teams where... It's it's um, two or three guys not getting to their gap and it's not a sexy answer, but it's that's kind of what football is. It's it's how do you make something basic effective all the time? And, you know, T. Frank, I'm going to I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to put out a question that's in a similar vein. And that comes from Manny from Vienna, Virginia. And my point's going to be how perception is. But Manny writes, in 2016, we won the Big Ten championship and beat Ohio State without a defensive tackle over 300 pounds. Why was Brent Pry's defense able to be successful with that defensive tackle rotation? And can Manny Diaz's defense replicate that successful defensive scheme against the run? Now, <laughs> What I want to point out as the perspective issue here is what I think Manny forgets is in that 2016 season, 
Penn State lost to Michigan 49 to 10. And they yeah. lost two games last that year. Because they couldn't stop anybody running the ball. Yeah, and they couldn't stop anyone in the in the Big Ten. They couldn't stop Wisconsin in the first half of the Big Ten championship game for a similar reason. Um, it is, and, but the answer is offense. That was an explosive offense that put up 40 points a game. So when you got into those games where you couldn't stop the run or you were letting up explosive plays until you met an equally good defense, and Michigan that year had a good defense with a good defensive front, they were overwhelmed and they couldn't score points. Also, I think that was a game where did Trace McSorley was hurt in the second half or something. I, I don't, that was such a bad game on the road. And like, I don't remember that game against Michigan very well. I wrote a whole thing about this last week or this weekend about the defensive tackles and what James Franklin has been talking about when he talks about, I want us to be bigger. And the main thrust here is the, I it's not, he's not saying I want us to be massive. He says, I want us to be bigger. And I talked, I asked him, okay, so what's the philosophy behind getting bigger then? And it's not about being, you know, packing on weight and being 325 and having everyone be huge. How are you maximizing your potential? And it's my opinion that not everyone all the time is maximizing their potential on the defensive line. And they do not have the high level recruits in the area to make up for guys not hitting. They're in a situation where, like they were at the offensive line, they have to play some guys because they they don't have any other depth. It is equal parts size, but also uh, talent. And that's really, it comes back to the same thing where it's it's a simple thing that they are not as big or as talented as they need to be. Um, and they need to find a way to overcome that. And that is through scheme and, again, maximizing their current potential. I've said this before, T. Frank, and I think that James Franklin's quote after the Michigan game about being bigger, I think if he could, he would take back that comment. But he doubled down on it. Like, uh, last week, he talked about it again. He said, I wish we could be bigger. So I, that's why I asked him, okay, so, so what do you mean then? Um, because are you willing to sacrifice athleticism for size? And I didn't even get the question out. He said, no, middle, middle of the way through the question. They're absolutely not going to sacrifice athleticism for size to get a one tech. That's a big tubby guy that they just plug in the a gap. They want athletic guys within a certain range, but it's not hitting right now. And that's the thing this week or last week, he was able to provide a little bit of context to where we're not going to sacrifice athleticism. But I think, and he's brought up Aaron Donald multiple times. And I believe there are some, someone, at least one player on the Penn State team probably said he wants to be Aaron Donald and doesn't want to put weight on because James Franklin has brought that name up uh, multiple times. Let's get to a little bit different topic here. Uh, this is Matt from Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. He says, hey, T. Frank, first, loved your interview with Bruce Lombard. I really enjoy hearing about unconventional training methods. In your opinion, what are some other training can pen, uh, can football players do to enhance their skills? Also, boxing, MMA, it's great for guys in the trenches. What would you recommend for cross-training for the skilled players? I love that I have now the the, the transitive property of expert because <laughs> I talked to Bruce. <laughs> no, I, I'm the one that knows these things. I, I, I couldn't give you an expert's opinion. I can only give you my observations. Um, so I I would say training hand-eye coordination and contact balance. 
are the two things that are super important for athletes. And that's a lot of what MMA is doing. But if you are a, a running back or you're a receiver and it's not as much about the hand fighting and you want to train your hand-eye coordination and your ability to bounce off contact, you need to train that when you're training. You know, And this is kind of like Derek Hendry's off-season workouts are weird because he's standing on a BOSU ball catching a ball in one hand while somebody is like hitting his abs just to, to stress your auxiliary muscles. So it's not just squatting and deadlifting and kind of your core compound movements. It's all the, it's, it's the whole functional athleticism thing where this is where we're going with football. It's functional movement in space. And I'm a huge component of flexibility. How flexible are you in your hips, in your, in your hip girdle to be able to, move laterally quickly and efficiently. And, and I think doesn't matter what position, especially along the offensive line. I think this is overlooked by young athletes where I need to be as big and strong as possible. Uh, and you don't focus and you know, I'm guilty of this. Everyone is guilty of this where we just like, if you like to lift weights, you lift weights, the regular way, the Olympic way, you don't do some of these other things like yoga or stretching or pliability training to make yourself a holistic athlete. That's where multi-sport athletes have an advantage. If you're if you're an offensive lineman that plays basketball or or baseball, you have a huge advantage because you're not just running in a straight line all the time. So I'm I'm a big proponent of that for big athletes as well. I like the wrestling for those offensive linemen, like we talked about Birchmeyer. I yeah. think that's great. And one of the things that I like for wide receivers is playing basketball, that ability to use your body to box out a defender to make the catch to yeah. me the basketball rebounding or even just being in the post and catching a pass and the way you use your body to do that that that's uh two, the two sports that i think of all right t frank that's it for quarter number three stick around quarter number four t frank's gonna name our winner stay tuned Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. 
We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. He's T. Frank. I'm Jim. It's quarter number four. Most importantly, T. Frank, we need a winner from our Ask T. Frank segment. Who's your winner? Well, I'm going to give the people what they want. And uh, we talked about the Michigan game last year, which is still, you talk about it and, and there's PTSD. So Steve in Painted Post that wants to know how to stop the run. Uh, we're going to go with that conversation because when you, any, anytime you get me onto a third tangent in an answer, it's probably a good question. So that, uh, that's our winner for today. And I also like off the air, you said, well, anytime you have to give like a six to eight minute answer, that's a good sign that it was a good discussion point. So an alternate (laughs) answer for that is that I didn't have a good answer. So I talked my way through it. But, uh, (laughs) this case, I think it is that there was a, 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 a simple but nuanced conversation. And yeah, I just, I don't think Penn State is so far off of being what they need to be to win games. That's uh, in, in all of the games that they've lost, the offense struggled to put up points or turn the ball over. So that's another factor when we're talking about the defense, where if Penn State doesn't go three and out to start the game twice, now obviously the defense, uh, even if they give up two long drives that are field goals, if Penn State gets any points, in the first quarter, that is a very different game. It's just it's just fundamentally different if the offense is not on its back through the end of the third quarter. And they were still in the game until those two runs in the in, you know late in uh, that kind of put the game away. So we're done. I'm done talking about Michigan for the week. We're done. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I'm gonna I'm gonna bite my tongue because I had another comment. Let's move on. We're going back to our positional analysis. I had every intention in the world of talking about running backs, T. Frank, but I'm calling an audible here because the other question we got um, from Matt in Harper's Ferry where he talked about uh, players doing other alternate training, things to help them, it led to a conversation you and I had off the air about wide receivers. I mentioned the idea of uh, basketball. I like the idea of wide receivers who played basketball, that ability to jump, box people out. I think there's a lot of basketball skills that translate. And I brought up to you Liam Clifford, who mm-hmm. when I watched his high school tape, I thought he used his body really well like a basketball player in boxing out the defender. And that got us talking wide receivers. And now I'm giving too long an explanation of just why we're going to talk wide receiver. And here's the thing for me at wide receiver. It seems like there's lots of depth. There are a lot of players. There's a lot of talent. But is there a, a top one, two, or three guys? And do you need to designate somebody as the top guy, T. Frank? Yes. So I I am of the positions that have questions. Um, it's a toss up between defensive tackle and and receiver, which one I'm least optimistic about. Now, this whole picture, you know, if we're talking previewing spring versus previewing the season, this whole picture changes once Dante Cephas steps on campus. Um, he will be if it's not he under Lambert Smith. And I know we used Liam Clifford as the uh, as the lever to get into this conversation. We'll get to him in a minute, but it's either Keandre Lambert-Smith or Dante Cephas as your lead receiver. Lambert-Smith 
is not a big football player, even at six one. He is very slight of frame. Um, 184 pounds. I guess like this is an area where I'm a little old school. Like I like X receivers. Give me somebody that's six foot two, uh, 205 pounds, 210 pounds. Andre Johnson, Eric Molds growing up. Those were my favorite receivers because they were literally everything. You could run, you could catch, you could box people out. You could do all of it. But football's gotten a little smaller. You know, a receiver especially has gotten thinner, more athletic. The door has opened to more players playing the position. So I uh, probably have a bias against Lambert Smith because he doesn't have the the traditional traits, I guess, I look for in a complete receiver. But it's more about what you can do. And he can do everything. He can run routes. He can get open. He can be an explosive receiver. The area he has to get better at is concentration catches and power through his routes where he doesn't get uh, he doesn't the timing of the play doesn't get disrupted because somebody's jammed him or has physicality through the route. Like I think of a couple times where he ran a slant last year and he was shut down in college. You can chuck a guy five yards down the field and he did not get through. He did not complete his route a couple times and the ball went to him and it just went to the ground and it makes Sean Clifford look bad. But really, like it was on the receiver for not having his hands available to, to throw the football to. Um, there's some conversation about maybe moving him to the slot part-time, maybe full-time, see if that will help him in that area. Um, but the, the reality of football and James Franklin talked about this several times is that the area you can make the most impact right away is if you have talented receivers on the outside specifically, and this is where the offense running through the tight ends is not a good long-term strategy where you're going to double down on tight ends. It's great to be elite at tight end but you have to have that balance on the outside. And as he pointed out, if you, if you make a guy miss on the outside, you go 80 and think about Parker Washington cover zero. He makes one guy miss. Another guy runs into that guy and he goes 60 yards for a touchdown against Ohio state. That's the, you can, if you have an outside guy that is game changing ability, you make the defense have a situation run into too many situations where they can't be right. Penn State's running game is going to be strong. They're going to be strong at tight end. They need to have a guy on the outside, not at the, not in the slot, somebody with outside threats. And you can run, you know, uh, wheel routes from the outside. You can do switch routes, things like that. But it's easier if you have somebody uh, that can just line up and is a threat that you have to keep a safety over the top. It changes how they attack the box. It changes how they attack the slot. And it leaves the middle of the field open. So who's that guy? Cephas uh, coming in this fall has the ability to be a complete guy. Again, not a huge dude, but a big frame. I think if he got a little bit bigger, he could be that guy that can uh, come through in every situation. He's got the tenacity to, you know, be a, a possession receiver and he's got good speed to be kind of a, a deep threat. The other side, the conversation is between Harrison Wallace and Malik McLean at the moment. In my opinion, McLean is the guy that could be everything. He could be the superstar. Like if he were to break out, he could play any of the three positions and be six foot four, 202 pounds. He needs to get a little bigger. He needs to be a little more physical. Uh, but I think he could be a deep threat possession receiver, big body guy that can win in every situation. And Harrison Wallace, he's probably the most physical of the group, but the consistency and the route running has to improve. So I have questions about all these guys, including Cephas's transition to the Big Ten. Like I, I, I was, I have to be, I have to be cautious here because I thought the whole situation with Mitchell Tinsley would be way better last year. I thought that would be a, a home run where he would, he would be an explosive receiver that broke tackles and got big plays 
catching the ball 12 yards down the field and getting another 12. That's an explosive play. That never happened. Um, so this group has to prove to me that they can get open. They can be a danger. And if you run certain coverages, you have to pay for it. Um, I, I, I'm concerned that there's too many question marks that don't have a positive lean. Unlike the offensive line where we have that depth that we saw great things from this group has a lot of question marks and, and incompletions that I don't know what to do with. What's tough at wide receiver as a layperson watching it, T. Frank, is I sometimes wonder if it's just who gets the opportunities, who gets the passes thrown their way, who gets the looks versus are they running their routes correctly to get themselves open? Yeah. To my Plus, point, you don't though, see any of that on television. None of that happens on TV. Right. You have to be there and you see, hey, this guy's wide open. Why isn't he getting the ball? And maybe the quarterback didn't see him. But also to the point is, um, it's funny how Keandre Lambert-Smith had a very pedestrian season until Parker Washington was out. And those last couple games, he looked like a much better receiver. Was he a Mm -hmm. much better receiver or was he just targeted more? So that is that goes into positions and just like in basketball, you run plays for certain guys. So if you run more plays where somebody's the primary receiver, they're going to have more opportunities to get open. And you're right. Not every receiver who gets wide open is top of the progression. Now, that can be on the quarterback to recognize matchups and coverages and then kind of change where he's supposed to go. But he does have on every play. He has a reason where he looks where he looks first based on what he sees and what the play is. So what happened was Lambert Smith moved over into the Mitchell Tinsley's position. Tinsley moved into the slot to replace Parker Washington. So he was over, you know, I presume at the X position, but for the final couple games, which means there's more, there's more plays designed for that guy. Like he's the, he's a more primary target. It did not go well when they were trying to run the offense, the way they had been running it with Tinsley, with some of those uh, screens. The Rutgers game was not good for for um, for Lambert Smith. But once they started to get more vertical concepts and and he and Clifford started getting on the same page a little bit more later on, that's when we saw the the blooming of Keandre Lambert Smith. So there is some uh, there, there's obvious upside there. He's obviously talented. Going back to his freshman season, you could see the way he ran, the way he moved. He was a he was a great athlete. But it's been the consistency, and if you're going to go to him regularly, it can't be all the deep ball. It can't be all of that that it was against um, Utah, because you're not like that. The percentages of those throws are lower. So, I think this year he has the opportunity to be that guy. You know, but it, to me, there is some you've got to prove you can catch a, a hitch and you can catch a slant and you can be the guy that moves the the seven yard into a nine yard play and get you the first down. That's really the the last part of his game he has to prove. KT, Frank, in the last minute that we have, a couple of the names we hadn't mentioned, Omari Evans, Liam Clifford, Caden Saunders, very different skill sets there. Any chance any of those guys steps up? Well, Evans is going to be behind whoever the X is, in my opinion, because that's where he was last year. And he was out there for a very specific reason. He's really fast. And he provided you a certain threat in, in the offense. But, I mean, the the production of his snaps was meaningless in, in a certain way. So I'm still looking at him as a project player that I don't expect to be a part, a major part of the conversation. 
we go to the slot and we see you've got Caden Saunders, Liam Clifford. I think those guys can be a complementary role to each other on the inside. Liam Clifford, if this team goes on a magical run, I think he's a guy that catches a couple critical third downs and fans love for being that guy in the offense that he came up with some critical plays. Caden Saunders can provide you speed and deep. He's a great route runner, man. I really liked Caden Saunders. So I still think that there's there's plenty of optimism there. It's just, is it is it now? Is it the second season with so many other options ahead of him? Like you pointed out of how many, how many chances is he going to get? Impact player? Maybe some impact plays? I don't really know. And then the rest of the guys, there are so many wild cards, so many guys with talent, but that have a, you know, a lot of question marks. I'm always a fan of Christian Driver. I'm a fan of the opportunity, but like that's a that's a as dark of a dark horse as you can get. Very good, T. Frank. That's going to have to be it for our show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.